following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Hello, you. Welcome to the show, episode 793 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, the fatigued, Brittany Page, everybody. Definitely fatigued, although we're in a good place right now because we haven't had to start this recording multiple times. Hopefully by me commenting on that, I'm not jinxing it. But uh, Sweepy is currently asleep, and we are hoping that we can finish the entire show without having to stop and record, stop and record. She is indeed PFO'd. Yes. So did you see, Jesse, the video of the airline pilots, maybe the flight attendants? I don't know. I think it was a pilot that came on. The mask thing? Yeah, and announced that the mask mandate had been. I just watched it. Okay. Because, and this is how I got there, by the way. Funny that, you, that you're that you starting this way. De- uh, Debbie Lesko is a congresswoman from Arizona who just tweeted this morning or, or late last night that one billion, with a B, one billion migrants have been apprehended at the border. Mm. So I retweeted it and said, actually, the number is more like... 23 bazillion <laughs> anyway a bunch of people were dragging her and she she deleted the tweet uh-huh. and so i went to see if she had like responded like oh it was just a typo or whatever and that's one of her retweets mm. is that fucking video yeah. of the guy co- flight plane in the air mid-flight he yeah. comes out to announce you guys can take your masks off and what do most of the adults within view of this cell phone camera do? Cheer and whoop and holler. And remove their masks. Yeah. And how horrifying would it be to be on this flight? We're, we're actually getting ready to fly to North Carolina for a wedding at the beginning of May. And I know that Joe Biden had extended the mask mandate for public transportation for two weeks, for, for air travel for they two weeks. They love just kicking the can, just barely down the road. I know, I know. And so it was going to be up anyway by the time that we were traveling. And so we had already been concerned about this. But to see the celebration (laughs) that occurred on that plane, it's it's quite concerning. I mean, one benefit is that we are going to be flying out of D.C. And there's high mask compliance here. So hopefully most people will still be opting to wear their masks but then we're gonna have to fly out of north carolina right so well listen we talked about this either last episode or the episode before about the numbers right now uh the lagging indicators are still lagging but cases are now up almost 50 percent over the last two weeks Mm -hmm. tests they were up like two percent now they're up 22 percent yeah we're seeing a rise in cases and these fucking dum-dums Mm-hmm. Or celebrate. Oh, I don't have to wear my. Now I can be in danger. Mm-hmm. Now I can endanger others. Yeah, and that's really the the concerning thing is what about the people on the flight who don't have the vaccine? Whether they're kids who are not eligible to get the vaccine or who are immunocompromised. Yeah. Maybe they have cancer and they're having to travel and. Everyone's celebrating removing this mask. It, it isn't even a big deal to wear it. And I, I just really, I don't understand this. And the reason this happened is because a federal judge voided the national mask mandate. I looked into her, by the way. A Trump-appointed member of the Federalist Society, former law clerk for Clarence Thomas. Someone who got a not qualified by the American Bar Association. That was their rating for her. And the Republicans still pushed her nomination through. Well, and Trump nominated her in 2020, and the Senate confirmed her on November 18th, 2020, after Trump lost. Yeah. So, again, why elections are important, and uh, the number of judges that he he appointed is alarming. Staggering, Yeah, the number of judges. Yeah, especially when we have things 
like this. So, so what, go go ahead. Needless to I wonder, say, I wonder if you're going to say the, the same thing I am. We're going to be wearing our masks. Yes, but and we are now preparing. That was what I was going to say <laughs> for how that's going to go with well, other people who may let me have tell you things to say. Someone is going to get a. We'll call it snarky. Okay. But it's going to be an aggressive remark. Mm. The Anybody who says, you know, you don't have to wear a mask, right? You know, you don't have to fucking talk to me either. Shut your fucking mouth. That seems uh, more than snarky. Uh, no, it's, that's just snarky. It seems slightly more than snarky. Should I say something aggressive or well, just, just I, that? No, that's just pretty snarky. aggressive. I think no, it's, no, just, that's snarky. I think you don't know how to define these terms. <laughs> I really have not missed this. In the beginning of the pandemic, when we were in Orange County and we were surrounded by people who were refusing to take basic measures to keep other people safe. Not only that, going the extra mile to cause a fucking scene and be aggressive. So when we when we were in that place, we were getting into confrontations. And yeah. it's something that I have not missed at all because I don't enjoy it. But there have been times where this has happened and so that's why i think we're we're gearing up for the expectation that someone is going to say something that we're going to be in that situation again and it's it's very frustrating well also let's put it in context maybe for listeners who who have joined us since all of this that during that time um i had to move to spokane washington to be with my daughter who was going through chemotherapy mm-hmm. and was severely immunocompromised and was at great risk in the middle of the height of the pandemic. Right. So, yeah, I don't have a problem being um, aggressive to people who are, it's not just inconsiderate. Mm -hmm. It is putting others in harm's way. Mm -hmm. I I mean, I could have lost my my fucking kid Mm -hmm. over this stuff. This isn't just, oh, liberals want to wear their masks. Mm -hmm. They're a real human prices to pay for people's inconsideration just doesn't seem strong enough absolutely yeah and selfishness i also i mean i i won't say that i got sick every time that i flew on a plane but i would say more times than not i would get sick after flying on a plane when's the last time you had a cold yeah i haven't had a cold in years i haven't been sick for years and it's been really fantastic because i hate being sick i i rarely got sick anyway but when I would fly, for example, I would get sick because with without a doubt, Jesse, you're witness to that because, yeah. because I'm a germaphobe and I would have severe reactions to people sneezing or coughing and not covering their mouth. It's very common. Let me say. It's still common, actually. Listen, open air sneezing is a goddamn nightmare. Yes, especially on a plane. And very common. Yes, especially on a plane and especially in airports. <laughs> we have witnessed people just walking by and sneeze in the air. Yeah, well, oh. you see, you see the, yeah. the leavens. You yeah. see the remnants of their of their filth and disease just f- now floating through the air. Not great. So, uh, <laughs> Not great. so then I'm envisioning a return to this, especially from all these people who haven't learned their lesson, who don't give a fuck i'm i'm yeah. i'm now expecting a return to that having to witness that cope with that have my skin crawl and that's not ideal so what what uh, snarky thing are you going to say well we will see but i have entertained certain statements using deadwood as my inspiration oh. so if you have seen deadwood there is a we'll scene a at the hint. poker table we don't need to get into i'm not going to say what is said what there is a scene with Wild Bill Hickok <laughs> and the man who ends up killing him. Mm-hmm. And he says, when you talk, no, your okay. mouth looks like, what, no? What's going on? <laughs> what are you doing? It's just a TV show. I didn't write the 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 dialogue. Right, okay. So anyway, we... We would love to know what you think about this. <laughs> we would love to know what you think about this <laughs> and what you're planning to do in these situations and how you're feeling about all the adulties cheering because they don't have to wear a mask anymore Ugh. and uh, do basic things to keep people safe. 657-464-7609 is our voicemail line.
You can also email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Let's get to some listener communications of listeners who actually have used those two methods of communication. John in California. Hey, uh, this is um, John from Los Angeles. I'm a subscriber and a frequent listener. Uh, first of all, I wanted to tell you all, both of you guys, Jesse and, and, and your wife, you guys are great. I love your show. Uh, I'll definitely want to give you a flowers. I also want to talk about, in your last podcast, about Bill Maher, because I used to be a Bill Maher fan, but I started noticing a couple of things about Bill Maher, and I started to like him over the years less and less, and you guys are dead on about that. You guys are dead on about Bill Maher. Also, you're dead on about uh, Drew Pinsky. I used to be a fan of his, but now he's a now. Now I see he's pretty much a shit. Also, with obvious, well, obviously Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz is a piece of shit. But anyway, I love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I'll keep on supporting y'all. And if you ever come back to the West Coast, come back to um, well, <laughs> L.A. You know, let me know. All right. Thanks, love you guys. Um, Jesse and Brittany are the best part. Mm. That's your favorite thing. Don't like the noncommittals. <laughs> you got to pick a side. No, you. Brittany don't. is clearly the best part. All right. I'm, you know, kind of a nightmare. You know, you're just fishing for compliments right now. That's your goal. Well, why and... do you think we even played the voicemail in the first place? It's I... pretty much just, <laughs> hey, you guys are great. You're right about all these things. That is true. Thank well, you, John, listen, for thinking we're right about everything. It is It is nice. We did not receive any pushback on the Bill Maher um, being anti-science, anti-trans. I mean, how, 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 how could time. that happen? This how time. could that happen? Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, in the past, uh, people who push back against whether Gavin McInnes was a racist. <laughs> and I think we've been vindicated on that front as well. Well, it looks like they've all removed themselves. Uh, that is right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you for the for the for the boosting my ego, which you know it's been really down in the dumps lately. I <laughs> haven't really been feeling great about myself. So, <laughs> thanks, John. We appreciate the call very much. Last time on the show, we talked about this police shooting in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and just the horror of it—the summary execution on camera. And if not for the the fact that there was a, a phone out videoing what took place. Who knows what the narrative would have been? And we did get a call uh, about the incident. Hey, Jesse and Brittany, this is Rebecca from Atlanta. I just wanted to make a few quick comments on the uh, issue of not being able to report police officers from uh, less than eight feet away. I just think the fact that people are trying to put this regulation, this this, uh, restriction into place is extremely telling, and it baffles me to the point where it's almost hilarious. So the man who was being interviewed about, like, what this law would mean and like what's the reason behind it he even says that like with new iphones and new smartphones that like you can still take pictures from eight feet away like it really shouldn't matter how far you are you know whatever whatever so if that's true which i believe it is you know phones are high tech enough nowadays that like you can zoom in from a decent distance and all that jazz why make the distinction then why why make the distinction and the reasoning he gives is oh well you know in an emergency in a situation where you know police are uh enforcing their authority it's not safe to be too close to them so it's not safe to be caught to be near cops you know what i mean like you're saying people need to stay back because if you get too close you could be putting yourself in danger by being near a person of authority who is meant to protect and serve you so within that that train of thought and that logic, you are admitting that there is an issue with with police force being a danger to the general public. And instead of saying, you know, well, we need to do something about the root cause of that, why our police officers are posing threats to citizens, you say, nah, just stay back and let them do what the fuck they're gonna do. Right? <laughs> Whether you're realizing it or not, you are acknowledging the issue here. It would almost be validating if it weren't so oppressing. I just, like, it, it, it blows my mind that you can be 
so close to the point and yet miss it so thoroughly. So this is pretty common practice for cops. Mm-hmm. The, the talking out of both sides of their mouths, trying to hold two diametrically opposed positions at the same time where like, oh, they're, our cops are so well-trained and they are professionals and they need all this support, but also deathly afraid of a black man who's unarmed and running away and need to shoot them in the back. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you can't be both. You can't be wearing your Punisher vigilante gear while also beside yourself with fear mm-hmm. at the side of black skin, unarmed black skin. It just... The problem here, one of the many problems here related to policing in the United States, is the power that we have given, just surrendered over to police unions who are just filled with liars and grifters and and people who who not just distort the facts, but will nary, they're nary a bad word for even a bad cop, mm-hmm. ever. Well, yeah, it's all about protection of police and not protection of Good the rights police. of citizens. Yeah, oh, that too, sure. Yeah, I mean, they don't they don't seem to particularly prioritize that element of their job. Well, they certainly don't distinguish between good cops and bad cops. It's just cops. We're all cops. Mm-hmm. They don't. There's no movement to to root out the ones who are giving them, if they're good cops, rooting them out of the job. Well, in fact, the people who try to do that are oftentimes. Rooted out themselves. Right. Yeah, for sure. So thank you, Rebecca. We appreciate the call. It is absolutely uh, a problem for, for many reasons. One of the reasons you mentioned last time, Brittany, was all a cop has to do is walk within that eight-foot distance from the person filming, and they either have to run away or stop filming, mm-hmm. which diffuses it. It just it is a, we're giving way too much leeway to people who have the authority to take the lives of citizens. Right. Come on. Anyway, we would love to know what you guys think about this. 657-464-7609. I doubt it at dollamore.com. I doubt it is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family. Please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporter, Randall C. Randall C. Thank you very much, Randall C. Thank you very much to all of our Patreon supporters who have continued to support us on this endeavor. We are very excited to be in Washington, D.C., very excited for what's to come. The uh, puppy has certainly thrown a bit of a wrench into things, <laughs> but that is temporary. And every day she is learning and getting better and becoming more independent. And we are happy about that. Also sad about that because we're going to you know, miss these puppy days. But when you're in the midst of the terror. We're in the middle of the puppy days. It is sometimes not easy. So we are looking forward to uh, that getting Better. But thank you very much for all of your support, your listenership, your communication with us. Please write in, email, send us voicemails, send us voice memos. We love the listener communication. It's an essential part of this show. It helps everyone. It helps us. We love to learn from you. We want to hear from you. So make sure that you participate. And in addition to that, we'd also continue to send in your requests for people we could have on the show to talk to. Absolutely. Whether that be in an interview capacity or actually just sitting around a table and, and having a conversation. Yeah. We appreciate that too. All right, moving on. Stalemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So Florida's education department has rejected 54 math textbooks. 41% of new new math textbooks yes. in elementary school. 41% of the 132 books that were submitted for review. 28 of them were rejected because they, quote, incorporate prohibited topics or unsolicited strategies, including critical race theory. <laughs> in a math book. <laughs> 
in a math book. Yeah, critical race theory, y'all. Yes. Big time. <laughs> it really does go to show how, the lengths to which they will, under the guise of trying to prevent indoctrination from our of our kids, do that very same thing themselves. We are following the latest culture war clash inside Florida's classroom. The state's Department of Education rejecting dozens of textbooks proposed for students. One of the main reasons they say the inclusion of material that the state calls critical race theory. News Channel 8's Justin Shecker following the story for us tonight. And Justin, these aren't history or social studies textbooks as you might expect. No, they're not, Jen and Jack. Good evening to you both. Florida's Education Commissioner claims the content in these rejected math textbooks textbooks could indoctrinate students. I worry that there aren't going to be any books left for our kids to study. Hillsborough County parent and public education advocate Damaris Allen says she had no problems with the state getting rid of common core standards, but she does have concerns with the new formula for reviewing math instruction materials. Well, I think we need to be cautious when we're reviewing things and, say, and not saying, oh, we're going to get rid of all of this. The Florida Department of Education reviewed 132 math textbooks for grades K through 12, only 78 of them met the state's strict standards. So that means the DOE rejected roughly four out of 10 math textbooks from public school curriculums. And so if we're not going to give our teachers materials to teach, then what's going to happen? The DOE cited three reasons for prohibiting 54 math textbooks from the classroom. References to critical race theory, inclusion of Common Core, and the addition of social emotional learning. Sometimes social emotional learning empowers our students to succeed. Outgoing Commissioner of Education Richard Corcoran says when it comes to education, other states continue to follow Florida's lead as we continue to reinforce parents' rights by focusing on providing their children with a world-class education without the fear of indoctrination or exposure to dangerous and divisive concepts in our classrooms. I don't know how you can indoctrinate through mathematics, um, but maybe there's something new that I need to watch out for. And the DOE says publishers can appeal or revise their submitted math textbooks. Now, the state is also in the process of reviewing textbooks for social studies and history. Jen. Justin Shecker, live in our Tampa News Center for us tonight. Thank you, Justin. You know, the interesting thing is, I went to the department, the Florida Department of Education, their press release on their own website, mm -hmm. and I looked for, what are they, in this case, considering critical race theory? What is it that they're they're bitching about here? And there isn't one, not like general reference or anything. There's no references whatsoever to what they're talking about. Mm. Not a one. Mm. N not, oh, there's mention of the race of, you know, if a if a, a black kid and a white kid all walk seven miles. Like, none of that. They don't, there's no references whatsoever. And they've yet pulled, they've banned these books. They've pulled these books with zero credible or non-credible right. instances of what they're talking about. Well, Fox News actually covered this, and Harris Faulkner was interviewing someone, and she brought up the point about how there's no specific examples. But then the man that she's interviewing decides to, on the basis of nothing, give his own example of why math textbooks may have been banned in this case. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis defending the state's decision to reject dozens of math textbooks. He says they push certain inappropriate topics, including critical race theory, which you just mentioned. Florida Democrats are demanding to see examples of the CRT in these textbooks. DeSantis so far, though, has said he set up a review, but otherwise he's not budging. You do have things like social and emotional learning and some of the other things that are more political in there. In our view on something like math, first, it doesn't meet the standards. But second, you know, math is about getting the right answer. And we want kids to learn to think so they get the right answer. We're going to continue to focus uh, the education on the actual strong academic performance of the students. Uh, we don't want things like math to have, you know, some of these other concepts introduced. Not that it was anybody's intention, but they do need to come up with some examples on this. And I know the governor says that they are reviewing it. You, Jason, have given one of the best uh, explanations of the tie between math and CRT as part of this argument. 
Yeah, they're basically saying folks who are, uh, you know, call themselves anti-racist activists, they claim that white supremacy infects math because perfection, the concept or the characteristic of perfection is an example of white supremacy. And so when you look at math, you have correct answers and incorrect answers. And so when you're being told that an answer might not be correct, well, that somehow in the twisted view of folks who are far to the left, Hmm. they say that that is white supremacy. I did a story actually last year, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation ended up bankrolling some group that claims the idea of math being purely objective is unequivocally false. And so this is what we're seeing. And it's not just in Florida. It's been happening here on the West Coast, in particular, Washington and Oregon for quite some time. Wow. I mean, we just learned that high is not negotiable. Three one four. Like I, I don't know. I don't know how they hope to negotiate it. All right, we will follow this because we know that parents have a big voice down in Florida, Virginia. We're watching this in other states, New Jersey, so on and so yep. forth. And we're watching you for all you do, Jason Rance. Thank you for all you do. Wow! Wow! We just learned a lot. <laughs> wow! I'm a hard news reporter. Unbelievable that I'm an anchor on a on the most watched cable news channel in the world. Wow. So Jesse, as a leftist who often tweets about and talks about progressive issues, including racial justice and equality, I'm sure you've heard this, right? That math, because it has right answers and wrong answers, right. is actually believed to be widely on the left a tool of white supremacy. Pretty nutty. I mean, it really goes to show they could just say anything they want. Not only are they not challenged on it, she agrees with wonder. Yeah, and he he didn't even have the name of the organization that he did reporting on. Right. I, I did a report on the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and us. Who bankrolled this organization. Yeah, some organization. Wait, I thought this was like a more widespread belief that's like a problem. Like this could explain yeah. why so many textbooks are being banned. And she props him up. And we're going to continue to follow you too, guy. Right. Who gave no specifics and really just nonsense. Right in order to whip up the Fox News audience. This is what they traffic in. So you're hearing the social-emotional learning used a lot here. Yeah. And, Jesse, we are not professional educators, so we don't have wait, expertise. Wait, wait, wait. Speak for yourself. I am very professional. Yeah. I mean, you're not a in teacher. In education. You're not a teacher. I teach so many people. Okay. You, I'm a teacher. Yes. You're not <laughs> certified in any way. Related. Oh, no. I have many certifications. Mm. Lofty certifications. Okay. I mean, not the ones where you like print off a certificate online and oh. you can marry people. I mean, well, in that ones. case, in that case, I'm not. Though. Okay. There we go. We got that problem solved. So we eventually got there. We looked into what exactly is social emotional learning. And I, this is something that I would like to hear from the listeners. If you are a teacher, if you have experience with social emotional learning, please write us, tell us about your experience. It sounds like the country's getting ready to collapse because of social emotional learning. I mean, something that's called social emotional learning sounds terrifying, right? I mean, just (laughs) the name of it sounds, whoa, we don't want that. Yeah, Ron DeSantis is, he's quivering in his little boots. So let's, let's listen to what exactly the conservatives are so afraid of. There's a lot of talk these days about SEL, social emotional learning. But what exactly is it? Social-emotional learning is the process of learning social and emotional skills, and it's just as important as learning reading or math. This learning process is most effective when it begins early and continues through high school. Social-emotional skills are essential for success in school, work, and life. With SEL, students learn to manage their own emotions and behaviors, have empathy and show care and concern for others, solve problems effectively, make responsible decisions, and maintain healthy relationships. Students learn to recognize what's happening inside them and to be aware of their emotions, which helps them deal with strong emotions and impulsive behaviors. It helps them stop, take a breath, and think about a situation before acting. Students learn to identify others' emotions and perspectives, which helps them empathize and show compassion, no matter who they are or what their background is. 
It's not difficult to imagine how this is important in the classroom and in life. Students learn to solve problems in peaceful ways and communicate assertively about what they need or want. This helps them get along with other students and get the help they need from adults. When students learn to make responsible decisions about their lives and their future, things can turn out better. Research shows social-emotional learning makes a difference. Students who participate in SEL do better academically, have improved attitudes and behaviors, and act in delinquent or disruptive ways less often. In the United States, students with strong social-emotional confidence are twice as likely to earn a college degree and nearly 50% more likely to graduate from high school and have a full-time job by age 25. Just as important, students who are socially and emotionally competent have more friends. This means they're more likely to feel connected to school and do well, and less likely to be left out or bullied. Simply put, by participating in social-emotional learning, students learn the skills to succeed in every facet of school and the rest of their lives. So these all seem like essential skills. And when I was listening to this and when I was reading about social emotional learning and different activities that are used under the social emotional learning umbrella in in school, I saw a lot of topics like conflict resolution, uh, self-awareness, assertiveness training, learning about emotions, learning how to express emotions. It It reminded me a lot of the topics that we used during our groups when I worked in an inpatient psychiatric hospital. And those are essential skills and tools that people need that if they aren't getting them when they are younger... Can cause... More severe problems down the road. Yeah, it can cause a a deficit in those skills that they then need to somewhere pick up down the line. And so for me, listening to this, I don't see a downside. I can see how conservatives are afraid of this, particularly with some triggering words in there, like helping kids develop empathy, for example. Right. Um, (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the fear or having them talk too much about their emotions and how they're feeling. And that seems like something that... Uh, is a slippery slope. You might have kids who care about one another. Yeah, I mean, what is the downside here? That's well, what's confusing to me. Here's here's Ron DeSantis's version of that little little blurb the explainer. Here's the conservative version of the explainer. <laughs> Social emotional wording. <laughs> it's a backdoor to CRT. Oh. Look out, everyone! They're coming for your fucking kids. <laughs> They're gonna kill everyone. We're all gonna die. It makes a lot more sense. Uh, you know. It makes a lot more sense now. <laughs> Thank you for illuminating that for all of us. My my impromptu um, PSA. <laughs> now my voice is not... Uh, That's it. Not great. That's the thing. Not great. Yeah. So listen, I mean, this is just another example of conservatives fueling a culture war and... Like I've said in the past, if it was just the culture war and it was just to to get votes or stir up controversy, it'd be one thing. But there's a real cost here. The education of children is at stake with uh, related to the things that they are going to ban. They're just boogeymen. They're just invisible things that aren't really happening. And they're going to change. They're going to alter curriculums based on invisibility shit that's not happening Mm -hmm. yeah it's scary yeah absolutely so we'd love to know what you think 657-464-7609 of course you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com so before we move on i want to talk about a recent poll from yougov this was actually conducted in february i believe and they asked about the 2024 democratic presidential primary There were some alarming findings, I think, in this poll. Yeah? Uh, A little bit. We can talk about it. But with the the orientation, I want everyone to be thinking about, like, what did they hope for 2024? Like, who did they hope is going to be on the Democratic ticket? What do they want that to look like? Not Joe Biden, I can tell you. Just based on age, based on the things he's been unable to get done. Well, let me let me tell you that many people 
agree with you, according to this YouGov poll. Also not Kamala Harris, because I didn't want her in the fucking first place. Only 21% of Democratic-leaning voters, only 21% said that their choice is Joe Biden. Yeah. Wait for that number to massively spike when he actually runs again, which... He has told... We're now learning. He has told President Obama that he plans to seek re-election. That's according to reporting from The Hill. And then from this poll, we have 18% who said they aren't sure about who they would support. And then we have 14% would support Vice President Harris and Bernie Sanders, sharing 14%. Even Bernie is too old. Listen, Joe Biden right now is 79 years old. Mm -hmm. In 2024, he'll be 81 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he wins and gets four, he'll be 85, 86 when he gets out of office? I'm, come on. Yeah, so I think some somewhat, like you said, when he does announce that he's seeking re-election, that number will go up. So in some ways, this conversation is a little preemptive because the midterms haven't even happened yet. And I think the midterms are going to point us in the direction of, of what needs to happen or how bad things are going to be, really. For sure. Yeah. But you got to think of it from the perspective of he's the incumbent president of the United States of America, the leader of the Democratic Party, who would rise to challenge him? Who would rise to primary if he decides to run? Who's going to do that? Well, let me tell you some of the names in this Washington Post write-up about this YouGov poll. It's the top 10 Democratic presidential candidates for 2024 ranked. And I want to go through this just quickly and, yeah, yeah. and uh, talk about it. So number 10 is AOC, Come which on. I think is very strange that uh, they look, put I love, her on this list at all. I love Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I do. But I think she would even she would even uh, articulate that she's not ready to be president of the United States of America. Yeah. So number nine, we have Gavin Newsom. <laughs> Come, on. <laughs> Come on, Democrats. <laughs> I I think the reason he's on this list primarily is because those who are around him believe that he that's Wants his eventual it. goal. Right. Is he is moving in the direction of wanting to be president. Who's who's next on this list that Democrats like? John fucking Kasich or somebody from the Lincoln Project? He's so next on the list, since you asked, is Cory Booker. Uh, not bad. Yes. Uh, who also had a, a great showing at the uh, Judge Jackson confirmation, the Justice Jackson confirmation. He also performed very well during the Democratic debates uh, during the 2020 election. I really like very much like Cory Booker. Okay. Next, we have Sherrod Brown. Uh, also like Sherrod Brown. Okay. Solid, progressive, uh, experienced, knows what he's doing. Um, maybe not the most charismatic, but you know what? We want a leader. Well, and part of the write-up here describes... Also from Ohio, right. which is a very important state. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah. Um, that the appeal there would be Ohio, mm-hmm. primarily. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next on the list, we have Roy Cooper. I have no fucking idea who that is. <laughs> well, he is the governor of North Carolina. All right. Oh, Roy Roy Cooper. Yeah, yeah, buddy of mine. We're, we're, we're close. We're close. <laughs> you can tell. You can tell. So the appeal here, based on this write-up, is again the being the governor of North Carolina, which is a state that would be a little swingy. Yes. But the problem is, is they've had. To, you, we got to know their policy. We got to know what they stand for and what they're going to try to accomplish or what they're going to run away from, like Pete Buttigieg, for instance. Well, the appeal also here, I guess, according to this uh, article, which was written, by the way, I don't know why I haven't said it yet, by Aaron Blake. And Aaron Blake says that part of the appeal here would be that he is a Biden-style candidate, if that is the interest. If that's an appeal. Yes. If you think that's an appeal. All right. So I do not think that's an appeal. Let's go through the rest of these quickly. Number five, Amy Klobuchar. Nope. Number four, Elizabeth Warren. Yes. Number three, well, also, old, also age. Also if pretty If you're old. concerned about that, Jesse. Yeah, D. yeah, yeah. Three, Harris. Two, Buttigieg. One, Biden. So if we're looking at this top ten choice ranking, things don't look super great in terms of excitement. Yeah. For the Democratic Party, which is concerning me. And then you also have Joe Biden's approval rating. You also have the number of Democratic-leaning voters that said that he would be their choice in the Democratic primary concerning. Yeah. Or in 2020. I mean, listen, of, of those people, I, I, I would... I mean, Elizabeth Warren's only 72. 
Um, her birthday's the day after yours, by the way. Oh. Um, she, but but she she is. I mean, we don't want a septuagenarian as, as running for president of the United States. I, I would much rather have AOC than Pete Buttigieg. She's absolutely just as experienced and as qualified as he is. Well, on the topic of age, let's talk about... Maybe more so. Go ahead, sorry. On the topic of age, let's talk about Dianne Feinstein, the senator from California, because there was a recent report from the San Francisco Chronicle talking about some of her... Staffers, employees, not opponents politically. Yeah, I think there was one person quoted, a Republican senator, I believe. I think three were Democrats, one was Republican. Uh, Anonymous spoke on the condition of anonymity because they... Don't, don't want their names to this, but that there are some concerning signs cognitively that she is not able to do her job effectively and that she's being propped up by her staffers. You have that in the middle of, of multiple times uh, over the course of hours long meetings, she will reintroduce herself or, or seek an introduction from someone who's in the room who she knows well. Right. So how best to handle the sensitive issue of Senator Dianne Feinstein? This week, the San Francisco Chronicle ran a story suggesting the 88-year-old Democrat may be, quote, mentally unfit to serve. The unnamed sources it cites include four U.S. senators, three of them Democrats, a California Democratic member of Congress, and three former Feinstein staffers. The California lawmaker recounted the experience, quote, rather than delve into policy, Feinstein repeated the same small talk questions like asking the lawmaker what mattered to voters in their district with no apparent recognition the two had already had a similar conversation. Those interviewed for the article also say it appears that Feinstein can no longer fulfill her duties without relying on her staff. Currently, Feinstein is the Senate's oldest member, but there are six others also in their 80s. In response to concerns about her acuity, Feinstein had this to say, I remain committed to do what I said I would when I was reelected in 2018, fight for Californians. The real question is whether I'm still an effective representative for 40 million Californians, and the record shows that I am. During a Thursday interview with the Chronicle's editorial board in which Feinstein was described as, quote, diminished but lucid and responsive, the senator added that she doesn't plan to step down before the end of her term, which runs through 2024. I meet regularly with leaders. I'm not isolated. I see people. My attendance is good. I put in the hours. We represent a huge state. And so I'm rather puzzled by all of this. The assessment of Feinstein prompted the Chronicle to issue an editorial calling on Democrats to speak openly about her mental fitness, calling on her to resign if she's unfit for service. We invited Senator Feinstein on today's program, would welcome her at any time. So Michael Smirconish with the summary there on CNN. I think I've seen some liberals say, what's the difference here? Yeah. There's many people, there's many elected officials in office right now who are not actively doing the work. Who they're rely staffers. upon staff. Right. Yeah. And, okay, but maybe. But they're not voting. They're not voting. They're not on committee asking questions. Yeah, that seems like a knee-jerk partisan defense. The staff, I mean. They're not. They're not voting, the staff. Yeah, that argument seems like a knee-jerk partisan defense of Dianne Feinstein. It's a whataboutism. And listen, I, I'm very sympathetic. It, it sounds like a bummer. She recently lost her husband. She's going through some stuff. That She's 88 years old. Also, her birthday is the day after yours. Oh, wow. Not a joke. Same day as Elizabeth Warren? J- well, years later. <laughs> well, same day. Yeah, she is... Not date. I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren's 72 Diane Feinstein's 88 years old. Mm. Listen, it's it sparked a conversation in our house about whether or not there should be an age limit. And I don't think there should be an age limit. But if you are cognitive, cognitively un, uh, um, uh, incapable of doing the job, then mm-hmm. you should not be there. Yeah. And there have been signs that she's not representing California very well. And when he was reading that quote about her response, I'd like to know... Was that a written response that a staffer made or was that over the phone or in person Mm -hmm. and they're actually quoting her with a recorder? Right. Because it seems like she's an unreliable representative. Well, it also, it wasn't like a flat out denial. It was, I'm I'm kind of puzzled by this reporting. So I don't know. Yeah. That that seems interesting too. Yeah. I I really would like to know what the audience thinks about this. And before you call in or write in, 
check your your partisanship meter. Check that gene to see whether it's flipped on or off in you and give an honest answer because, listen, if if you say she should be there, but if, if Chuck Grassley was uh, exhibiting the same exact types of, of, of behaviors and right. if you'd say he needs to fucking go, uh, you really need to to analyze that. Right. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. CBS Sunday morning. Oh wow. That <laughs> It's very specific. I it's know. the first. Yeah. And also, how dare you attack CBS Sunday morning? I know. The only thing I have a problem with is the cadence of their reporting during their show. I like it. It's, it's relaxing. No, it's very over the top. I, mean, I think it's nice. Listen, over the top, Jesse D thinks it's over the top. Why are so, you talking about yourself in third person I love, again? Listen, Jesse D sometimes okay. likes to refer to All Jesse right. D as Jesse D. Okay, so... <laughs> CBS this morning, I was looking for clips for the show and anything about the Mormon church piques my interest and I click on it and there was a... We, we grew up in Mormon country. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I am close to people who are Mormon, so it is something that's fascinating to me. And I... Many family members yeah, I saw, of mine are Mormon. I saw this reporting on the... Sometimes the uh, church decides to open up the temple for public visitation. And in D.C., apparently there's been construction going on on the temple, and so they are opening it up to the public. Silver Spring, Maryland. CBS Sunday Morning decided to cover this. But what's weird about this reporting is how it almost seems like the church paid them for promotion. Yeah, like it's one of those, what do they call it, like a a paid promotional where it's a... it, it comes across as a report, but it's actually like a like an ad, like a, a placed ad. Yeah, like CBS Sunday Morning is actively recruiting for the Mormon Church. <laughs> but tell me what you think. Its spires leap nearly three hundred feet wow. into the sky. At their pinnacle, a two-ton gold-covered angel issues a clarion call to the heavens. It's clad in white Alabama marble matching other monuments around the nation's capital. But for decades, it's posed something of a mystery to the millions who stream by on D.C.'s Beltway. Some even comparing it to the land of Oz. When church members hear that, what do they think of that? We smile. (laughs) But it's one of the reasons we have this open house. We we won't get everybody who comes around the corner on the Beltway. (laughs) But uh, I hope more and more we'll see it as something much, much more than Oz. Todd Christofferson and David Bednar are two of the 12 apostles, or the highest-ranking elders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They traveled from Utah to bring us inside the church's hallowed Washington, D.C. temple, a place normally off-limits to all but members of the faith. Sometimes uh, we're accused of, well, what are the secret things that you do in the temple? They're not secret, they're sacred. And so we don't speak of them casually or lightly because to us, they're so central, so fundamental, and so important to how we live. The temple's been under renovation since 2018, so non-members are temporarily allowed in for construction. And now, so are Sunday morning's cameras, ahead of a public open house that begins later this month. Are we walking into another realm? Uh, yes, symbolically. The apostles and their wives, Kathy Christofferson and Susan Bednar, ushered us across this entry bridge. We're leaving the world and entering a more heavenly place where we learn about God. And we have a song that children sing when they're young. I love to see the temple. I'm going there someday to feel the Holy Spirit, to listen and to pray. Surprisingly, there's no soaring cathedral-like space inside. Most of the rooms are windowless, hushed, and intimate. One room that does wow is the baptistry. And how warm is the water? It's warm. (laughs) They keep it warm. This baptismal font, perched atop 12 life-size oxen symbolizing the tribes of Israel, isn't for the living, but to anoint the souls of church members' long-deceased ancestors. 
How do they know that that's something that ancestor wants? They don't. They just plain don't know. But they can hope. It is, in a sense, a free will offering to that person who, in the eternities, can choose to accept it or not. Baptism of the dead is just one practice that makes the church stand out. Established in New York State nearly 200 years ago, the Latter-day Saints were persecuted for their beliefs. Like most religious institutions, the church has faced criticism from inside and outside on issues of race, sexuality, and gender. But the growing diversity among its nearly 17 million members across six continents suggests their message is being received. Mmm, does it? And then over that is a montage of different churches in Haiti, Guatemala, New Zealand, Japan. Right. So very much like brushing over any of the controversies and saying, but... Obviously, the church is growing and appealing to uh, a more diverse population. They don't happen to mention that until 1978. Up until 1978, blacks were not allowed into the priesthood. Yeah. Now, listen, if that didn't convince you, I want you to hear the last like 25 seconds of this, how they sign off on this reporting. This is a place of light, of peace. Place of light and peace. A statement in this world and a declaration of faith to the next. There's still mystery in the Washington, D.C. temple, but in the coming weeks, if you're curious, the doors will be open wide. What? God damn. Also, they were persecuted for their beliefs. You mean Joseph Smith stealing dudes' wives and having them killed? Do you mean Brigham Young talking about the institution of slavery will never leave the face of the earth? Fuck you, CBS Sunday Morning. I thought this was wild. And then it open, it, then it ends with that, which is like a, an invitation to come and explore. Oh, this is a heavenly place. I mean, this is paid, right? They were paid, those it's, apostles. It spires leap to the heavens. The outside of the building is clad in beautiful Alabama marble. Please join the Mormon church, please. Oh, and listen, I... If people are members of the LDS church, okay. Rethink what you're doing. The main problem, obviously, that we have are the efforts to oppress the LGBTQ community. That still goes on today. That still goes on today. And, I mean, the issue of lack of equality within the church, and that still persists today. If you want to follow an interesting TikTok account, aside from at Dollamore, then... (laughs) You should check out the Black Menaces because they are, I believe, students on the BYU campus that walk up to other students and ask them questions about whether they support Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter. But they also will read quotes and say, is this a quote from Hitler or Brigham Young? And when you're starting like that, people tend to figure it out that it's Brigham Young. Uh, But watching people in real time fail to, in a real way, grapple with the reality of what they're a part of, I think, is pretty interesting to watch. For sure. The Black Menaces on TikTok. Yeah. Go following. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. We'd love to know what you think. Listen, if you're a Mormon out there, uh, one, I think your faith is pernicious, uh, but please call in. We, we'd love to have uh, have your take on this. 657-464-7609 and uh, email us. I doubt it at dollamore.com. Taking care of biz. Ian Mackey. Ian Mackey. By the way, voice fried. (laughs) You've done a lot of uh, voiceover acting today. (laughs) Live on the spot. Yes. I should really think about the bits we want to do. That might be a good idea in practice. Before I, like it came to me in the middle. Strengthen your your stamina. Hey, what? What are you saying? (laughs) (laughs) Ian Mackey. Ian Mackey, Missouri State Representative who went viral this week when he gave a speech against the proposed ban 
that we've been seeing in other states of transgender individuals playing on sports teams. And in this speech, he is directing his comments directly to Republican State Representative Chuck Basie. Yeah, who is also a Republican sponsor or proponent of this anti-trans panic bill. Yes, and obviously these two individuals have worked together for a period of time, and Ian Mackey has some experience with him, knows about his personal history, and that's where he starts. Do you remember your remarks on the floor last year when you brought this up? Um, it would, you'd have to give me a specific. I mean, I made a lot of remarks last sure. year. So I recall a story you told about your brother. Okay. And I remember you said that your brother called, or that your mother called you, I believe, to tell you that your brother had some news that he was afraid to tell you. Okay. And your brother wanted to tell you that he was gay, didn't he? Um, he was uh, expressing that to the family, and he thought that uh, that we would hold that against him and not let my children be around him. Why do you think he thought that? I, I don't know. I, it uh, it never would have happened. I'll tell you that. My right. uh, my my kids at that that point in their life adored my uh, my brother. Can I tell you if I were your brother, I would have been afraid to tell you too. Well, I'm I would have been afraid to tell you, too, because of stuff like this, because this is what you're focused on. This is the legislation you want to put forward. This is what consumes your time. I would have been afraid to tell you, too. I was afraid of people like you growing up, and I grew up in Hickory County, Missouri. I grew up in a school district that would vote tomorrow to put this in place. And for 18 years, I walked around with nice people like you who took me to ball games, who told me how smart I was, and who went to the ballot and voted for crap like this. And I couldn't wait to get out. I couldn't wait to move to a part of our state that would reject this stuff in a minute. I couldn't wait. And thank God I made it. Thank God I made it out. And I think every day of the kids who are still there, who haven't made it out, who haven't escaped from this kind of bigotry. Gentlemen, I'm not afraid of you anymore because you're going to lose. You may win this today, but you're going to lose. So I think this is exactly the kind of speech that Democrats need to make more often. Yeah. Because this is really the thing that change changes hearts and minds. People are not going to listen to data points. They're not going to listen to statistics. I mean, some people will, but by and large, that's not going to be the thing that pushes people to action. It's the emotional appeal. Absolutely. It's going to be someone's personal anecdote about their pain that is going to hopefully move some people. And maybe this is where social emotional learning comes in and (laughs) teaching people empathy and the fear of kind of having kids understand the experiences of other people. Also, maybe that's why they don't want social emotional learning taught in school. Absolutely. And I, I think Ian Mackey hit the nail on the head. I think that's why it resonated with so many people and why it went viral on, on Twitter. It, it, they have an interesting setup there in, uh, in Missouri because normally you don't speak directly to one another. You speak to one another through the presiding officer. Mm-hmm. Just an interesting little thing I noticed in the Missouri politics there, the, the parliamentary procedure. But um, we need more people in state houses with experiences like this. This is why when, when, when the phrase diversity matters and is important comes up, it is. Because Ian Mackey, has lived a different life experience than the gravel-voiced weirdo, and he can speak to it. Mm -hmm. He can say, I was bullied by people like you. It's nice people like you who attempted to create a a country where I'm a second-class citizen. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think really needs to be impressed upon everybody more often, is people say, well, I don't hate gays. I don't don't want to oppress anybody. Uh, but I just cast my vote for those who do. Right. That is what is important. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you. We appreciate you. We invite you to help support and produce what we do here on the show. You can go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. And there you can pick a tier, take part in the rewards, and uh, more importantly, help support us while we attempt to create a platform where we move the conversation forward. We love you. We will see you next time. Until then, for Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt.